Well, for episode 45, a good friend of mine has decided to join me on the podcast. Uh, currently stationed over at the Rose Holman Institute of Technology, just outside of Indianapolis, but also a man that I know through my karting exploits, particularly through the BNL karting series, the Rotax Euro Trophy, DJ Liveris. Good to have you back on Yasu, as they would say in Greece. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I think this is this is fun. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, well, um, DJ, we've known each other for quite a long time anyway, uh, especially when, well, Yandams these days is still having kittens. I've never seen the bloke look uh, calm unless he's got a beer in his hand at the bar at Carton Genk. I mean, uh, but DJ, if you'd like, uh, I ask all my guests to do this in your own words, if you'd like to explain who you are and what you do. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm DJ Oliveris. I was a karting driver, I guess, not full-time, but I guess as, as, as full-time as you can get whilst doing school at the same time. So I raced primarily Rotax TV2. I did Euro Series. I did uh, the International Trophies. I did the BNL. I did some races in the Greek Championship. Uh, I feel like I went relatively well over there, uh, but sadly I had to hang up the, the helmet and then put the suit away as I decided uh, since I had some sort of a brain on my shoulders, that it'd be a good idea for me to go to the States and go to college. And currently, yeah, I'm in middle of nowhere, Indiana. So a bit outside Indianapolis. Uh, it's freezing here right now. It's negative 15 degrees. Uh, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a twist, a bit of a flip-flop from what I'm usually used to. And I'm currently studying mechanical engineering and mathematics. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the fact... Uh you do get the odd occasional opportunity to go back home, um, you know, frequent the locality in Santorini back home in Greece. But, you know, we've, we've, we've known each other for quite a long time. And I still remember we, do you remember the first time I met you? Oh God. Do you remember where it was? I remember. I remember oh, exactly mate, my, my memory, look, I'm nearly 50. So my memory banks can be shot at times. Uh, go on, remind me. It was, it was an Adria, a Euro series, it was either the Euro Series or the. Were you at the CE? No, the CE no. was the week before. So it was, so it was the Euro Series of 2018, and it was right after I almost, I almost oh, flipped. I went oh, to yes, over, yes, I went yes. To overtake Vili. Vili Vili and I got yeah. and I, yeah. So the story goes, and I remember it now because you came up to oh, me yeah. and said it was me that nearly flipped, not Vili Vili Ainen. Uh, and it was just like, I went, sorry, DJ, you know, I, I completely apologize. We've become great buddies ever since. And I've commentated on yeah. this man a multitude of times. Uh, this man was also that close to pipping Xander Shiblak for the 2019 BNL Karting Series title. You remember that That's weekend. Still pains. That still pains. I, I know it. I know it does, but I still I remember, had that. I still yeah. remember when there was a three-way battle between you Zander and David Remy. David. Uh, yeah. And it was the fight. Carton uh, Genk in October is normally piss wet through at the best of times. And it was completely torrential. Everyone had their wetsuits on. You threw it up the inside of the pair of them going into T2, which was uh, started off a multitude of exchanges. I think you kept the lead going into turn five. Then Zander got the lead back. Remy nearly got you as well. And it was sort of like, it, yeah. it, it, it was it was the karting equivalent of Tom and Jerry, wasn't it, on that lap? I think the lead changed 
three, four times in the span of the lap. It was something, something crazy. That was, that was, that was a, that was a good race. Cause I think that was, it was whoever, if, if I won that, I had it. If Sandra wanted, he won. He had it, and I guess lucky, lucky for him, it rained in Genk. So, <laughs> but no, that was yeah, that was a fun time. That was that was an extraordinary race. Yeah. I, I still remember commentating on your last race. I think, if I remember correctly, twenty twenty one, Lamar International Trophy, where you finished fifth, and you were yeah. not that, f- and you were actually. I still remember. Just before we started recording, I remember you sent you sent me a little video where you were chasing down Pico, and you were both under the same awning because back then Nicola Pico was still running under Dams Racing, uh, and still bloody well, I quick. I think he was still. I think he was still with the French uh, team. Uh, K. I forgot what they're called at this point, uh, but he was running with our material. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't necessarily in our, in our awning, but yeah, no, it was. I don't know what I think it was something between me saying like oh this is my last race and I don't want to crash and I I went for the move and he he slightly like, went to, for the move in the in the left hairpin and he like slightly moved towards me so I'm like oh no we're gonna die here so I backed <laughs> off and I think I think I missed my podium just because of that because he ended up third in that race. Well, it was a pretty good race as well because it was I was solid considering Le Mans for me it's interesting because. I'm always, I've, uh, I was second in 2019 and then fifth in 2021. It's the only two times I've raced TV two there. Um, the first time I drove a KZ was actually in, a, in the world championship in Le Mans, which is, uh, also a different story a year prior, but yeah, I've never been fast in Le Mans. I've never like during time trials, during everything, I've always just managed to just stay afloat around in the top five. I've never been exceptionally quick. I think it's just some sort of, I don't know, racecraft staying out of trouble, just people kind of throwing it here and there and not not, <laughs> not having any regard for themselves is what helps me prevail in that circuit. But yeah, no. It was um it was a good race and it was it was a it was a good last race. It was a good last race. I think that everything went went relatively solid. But uh you know, I can't help but think that it was that season or that, like, I did two races that summer, and that's when I felt like I was getting towards my best, and that's when I had to stop. Yeah, because I remember you, you actually won the weekend at Marienburg at the BNL Karting Series that year as well, if I remember correctly, because at that point, um, there's a little bit of a, a, a story to tell uh, in between these two, because BNL Karting Series, I was the official commentator, and I think I came and had a chat with you in the paddock, didn't I, at Lamar? And I, he said, how come you're commentating? I thought Henry was going to do it. And Henry phoned me. Uh, and we're talking about the voice of the grand finals, folks. Henry Baudet, who still has yet to make an appearance on this show. And I keep on name-checking him in the fact of saying Baudet. I'll, but I'll call him. I'll call him. I'll call well, him I, I've, I've got to call him anyway. Um, okay. And I remember I was doing social media for three clients that week. Uh, Austin Lee, Axel Laflamme, and I was trying to remember who else. Uh, Lock, Lockie Robinson. Yes. Okay. And then I'm in the Apart City Le Mans, right by the Garden Or, where the electric trams come through every day. And it's half 11 French time. So, like, literally an hour ahead of the UK. And it's Henry on the caller ID. And, he go, and I go, ah, hello, boy. Oh, tidy darts and all that. You, you know, just take the piss out of him as always. You know, you have to do that with a Welshman because he'll always reciprocate. And he said, um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it. 
so there was me going, cogs turning in the brain, going, I know what's coming next. And he went, yep, I've already spoken to 3MK. They're going to get in touch tomorrow. And my saving grace was that knowing 85% of the drivers in the paddock wasn't such a bad thing after all. And yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, I, that was a, that's a big grid. How many, how many were in that race? Over 200 for sure. I think it was north of 250. Yeah. And I did... Um, I remember make it, speaking to Benoit Perret, who's no longer with 3MK events. He was like running NSK and, and the International Trophy. Didn't know me from Adam. Um, so I explained to him who I was. I was the Euro Trophy commentator, B&L Karting Series commentator. I've been part of the Rotex family for a multitude of years. And I know 80% of the paddock, at least. And it would be an absolute pleasure. And he said, okay. So I was told the live stream wasn't going to start until after qualifying. I'm then, I've gone over to this Sacriel Prost, which is where they do the 24 hours karting of Lamar every every single year. And they had a PCR test station there. So I had to go and try and sort out my PCR test. And Ben was on the phone saying, uh, I need you over here now because we're about to start the stream. And I went, okay, well, this now becomes a day rate for this one. So uh, I got more money out of them as a direct correlation. But I did, I think it, we had, it was group three senior Rotax qualifying. We had a red flag with five minutes to go. I then had to run over, then was told, okay, the stream started. And then I did that plus the driver parade plus the plus the draw as well where I think it was Aaron Krepsik that won the Canam Riker that year uh, the Hungarian that's, yeah. that's a good memory I don't remember who won yeah. that I uh, won that I even I even <laughs> I even roped in Helmut Vogelsam to help do part of the draw uh, and he was like no 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 I said look I don't want it to be me because otherwise people are go well you're just you're just going to pick your favourites. And I wasn't because of the fact we had a bowl of like, I think multiple drivers got bell helmets as well. And then we had the podium presentation where Kai Rillis actually managed to uh, spray me all up my back uh, on the podium presentation. He won the juniors that year. Uh, but there was the last one to pop his cork on the actual podium celebration as well. Um which is quite funny. But yeah, it was really cool. You know, like we, we've known each other for, for quite a few years. But I want to go back to... Now, I know this history because of one of the BNL Karting Series after movies because you were one of the featured interviewees being asked about your history. Now, how did things start for DJ Liveris from the very early days uh, before you decided to get into karting properly and, and, and give it a proper go? Oh, this is a good story. This is a good question. Um, so I think everything kind of narrows down to, well, two things. Number one, my dad and my coach. So my dad used to, when he was in his early 20s, um, be the manager for, for, the, for Ford rally team in Greece. So he was kind of like the representative for Ford. And so he's always kind of had that racing bug in him. So I grew up... Um, watching MotoGP, Formula One, with cars in the house, talking about cars. Uh, like, I would be walking down the street and, like, the age of two or three, being able to name every single car by, like, looking at their emblems. Apart from Skoda. Skoda always gave me trouble. Um, but, yeah, so we always had... I always had kind of that, as a motorsport bug instilled in me. And when I was four, my dad decided to pick up karting. 
uh, in Greece. And so he was very good friends with um, my coach and also one of my best friends, uh, John Antoniadis, uh, who used to be Jensen Button's teammates in karting. Uh, he was a Formula 3 driver. Uh, he won the Marguti and uh, was a very, very successful uh, karting driver uh, in his time. And so he and um, he and like the track owner from the time, so the track that we used to race at, decided that like, hey, let's get a bunch of guys together and let's make a makeshift team. And that was kind of like the birth of what we then called Ray Motorsport. So like we made our little, they made their own little racing team, and a year later. I, at the age of five, they bought me a baby cart. So we had this in initial group of like five, six people who we would just go every weekend or something and just just screw around, just have some fun. And so it was really a hobby until I was like 12 or 13. I never took it seriously. I was never, I never tried to be quick. I always just enjoyed going and just having having a bit of fun. And there was one year where we were like, hey, you know what? Let's let's throw our hat in the ring. Let's see how quick we are compared to the to the other drivers in Greece. Um, and so we're like, okay, let's start training and let's see if we can if we can do a season. And that, I think the the first time I raced was 2015. So that's a while ago. We're almost on almost almost on 10 years since then. I'm getting old. I feel old now. Ah. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started, DJ. You know how old I am. I just, uh, well, for those wondering, I'm 46. Bloody hell. I can't believe I just you said don't that. Look a day, you don't look a day over 33. Thank you, my friend. It's only because of the fact my beard trimmer decided to blow a gasket and I lost the actual plug socket for it as well. I think it was when I was in Bahrain for the grand finals last December. And I just went, mm. but it's actually nice to just go clean shaven. I, I, I think I just do put the beard on just so at least I look a little bit more um I think the term distinguished uh, would probably be the right word for it but it's just off seasons yeah. when I just go yeah right shave it off feel a little bit better um and then just yeah just bring it back ready for for when my season starts in the second weekend of February back to Genk again it's a good place to start again so start again yeah so yeah but then that was it I, I raced I did my first race um at I forgot. I forgot how old I was. I think I placed fourth or fifth. I think it was fourth uh, out of like twelve on the grid. And we were like, "Hey, you know what? We're not so bad at this." And the next, um, okay, the next, the next season, I only did two races. I placed fourth, and then I did, and then I came second in another one that year. And then the next season, we're like, "Okay, now let's take it seriously. Let's try go to the grand finals and let's try race race for Greece." And that was 2016. And for me, that was the biggest turning point. I feel like in karting and motorsport in the way that I view the sport uh, because I won every race, I think, apart from the last round. The last round, I came second. But I won every race apart from the last round clearly easily. One race was even 40 seconds difference because they, they crashed. It was pretty funny. Anyway, but because I feel like I don't know what it was with the entire uh, Greek motorsport community at that time, uh, maybe that I was training a bit in Europe and that I was with a team that was a bit more European. But I feel like because they didn't like me, they didn't get along with me, and because they wanted other people, let's say, to to represent them in the world championships or even in the in the academy trophy, uh, I got disqualified for minor contact. 
like racing incident contact. So I went in for an overtake on the last corner and we touched and he went a bit off into the gravel and then came back, right? Didn't lose a position, just minor contact in the middle of the corner. And it wasn't even five second penalty. It was just straight, straight disqualification, which was absurd. And there's nothing in the rules that says you can do that. And we appealed to it. I think we even took it to the courts. And yeah, nothing ever happened. That didn't go through. I was disqualified, so they took away my title, uh, which I think to this day they can they can go fuck themselves. I don't care. I won that title. I won that year. Um, but ever since then, I vowed never to race in Greece again, and not really to have them, not to represent them as much. Uh, and so, if you've noticed that on my go kart, I have a Scottish flag, not the Greek flag, uh, but I race with a Greek license, so it's going to be Greece over there. And, and I, to be fair, now in hindsight. I wish I represented Greece a bit more, because uh, I don't want just a few a few people and a few people who are tainting the sport to take away from, let's say, just like my nationalism, like my, my like the, the fact that I do want to represent my country. But I think that was at that time something that was quite sour for me because I, I didn't manage to go to the grand finals, and I've never been to one despite having three tickets, and I have a, and I essentially never had I had to give them all away. Um, but yeah, that's when I just decided that, you know what, from now on, we only race in Europe. And that's when the European journey actually started. So 2017 was the first year where it was only Europe. And then from there, just never looked back. How did you get involved with uh, with Jan Dams and, and Dams Racing? Because, you know, every, every single time that I've commentated on you, you've always been in that awning. You know, you, you've always been very... We've known each other, like I say, since 2018, and mm. you've always been proud of your heritage. You've always said, "Just call me DJ," you know, like <laughs> the amount of times, you know, and and that's what I love about the fact that you can just be yourself. You know, you can be proud of your nationality. It's like with me being dual national, being Anglo-German. I'm proud to represent mm. both nations. Absolutely. And and I mean, how did the journey start with Jan? When when you made that jump from obviously the disqualification of that and I'm gonna be very, very much in the uh neutrality state, but how I'm gonna put it in the bullshit situation that happened when you got DQ'd. Of course, yeah. What was what what really drew you to, to join Jan and the crew at Dams Racing? And because from there, you know, you really started to flourish. You were you were very, very competitive in the in, in the couple of years that I commentated over you through twenty eighteen through twenty nineteen. Uh, before COVID hit, um, how did that journey sort of start? That's a good question. Um, so initially, I had done some testing with Jan before that, and the the way I got introduced to him was through my coach. So my coach was actually the coach of Konstantin Scholl, the 2016 uh, European champion for DD2, um, and also vice champion for 2015, if I'm not wrong. Um, and yeah, he did both of those with Damage Racing. So we already had that contact in the European scene. And that's how I initially got introduced to Jan because Constantine was racing. Uh, despite him, I think, being at KMS for maybe a few months and then coming back to Jan. Um, yeah, I started, I started my journey with him. He introduced me to the European scene. He introduced me to racing. He taught me, this, the whole team, the whole crew over there, they all essentially taught me how to drive because I had no idea... Like it's 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 insane if you feel the difference between the tarmac of of Greece and Europe, just the way 
that the tire reacts, the way that the chassis flexes, the way that you, you balance everything is it's extraordinary. It's, it's very, very different the way that the rubber interacts with the road. Um, and Jan was where I learned that. And I'll forever be grateful. I, I treat them like family. I treat him like family. And I'm extraordinarily loyal. And so I feel like they've done, we've had ups and downs here and there, obviously, as, as everyone does. But they've never done me wrong. They've never been mean to me. They've always treated me like, like you know, like part of the family. And so I'll, every time I race, if I, if I ever race again, it's going to be wearing white, blue, and yellow. Exactly, and those are the colours of 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 uh, you know the livery that we we see on a dams racing car. I mean, it's really nice whenever, even if I get the opportunity, just have a little bit of a banter throw with with Jan. It's always smiles, and it's like, how are you doing? You keeping well? You know, it's just like menial chit chat. And when I do get the opportunity to have a like a fifteen twenty minute conversation, I try not to steer towards racing because the first thing that we don't want to do is talk about what's been going on out on the track. And yeah, and yeah. for those wondering, I mean, yeah, I've 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 actually got a, something to tell you now. You want to know who their data guy is these days? Is it Mike Van Vuist? Yeah. For, yeah, Mike, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I said to him, "What are you doing in here?" I said, "I said I thought you're going to be off doing bloody rallycross." He said, "No, I'm the data guy." I'm like, two-time European champion, multi-time Chrono BNL champion. Not a good, not a bad person to have as a data guy. Pretty good one. Absolutely uh, not. No, I, I think that that's very important. I think that the really nice thing with Jan and with that team is, I feel like it's something that racing is kind of getting shy from uh, recently, which is kids don't have fun anymore no one really goes there to kind of enjoy it and i really saw a massive shift in let's say just the atmosphere surrounding karting in particular um the last time i raced which was bnl 2022 which was a horrendous race but we don't yeah no we're not going to talk about that even i remember it i was just like "Ah." yeah i i got heavy i hadn't driven for a year it's the first time i was back in the go-kart in how long it doesn't matter we had fun but even from even though I was like twelve months prior, I was winning by four seconds in, in Marienburg. And then the next time I'm struggling not to be in the last four, last five in qualifying. I still enjoyed myself. And I think that that's an issue that a lot of kids have is that they don't necessarily go to have fun and they don't they don't enjoy it anymore. They don't but it's not that they don't enjoy uh being at the track i think they like being at the track i don't feel like they don't enjoy the the essence of sport the like competition drive they just i feel like kids these days they appear and they feel like they just like god owes them to be quick i don't know if you've if you've come across this recently but i feel like there's a big yeah. change in this stigma where it's just i'm rich i have this i have the team i have the best engine i have to be the fastest because i'm me Right, not necessarily that I need to sit down and work for it. Yeah, I also find that sometimes parents live vicariously through their kids, um, and, and sometimes, you know, like I'll I'll see um, what was it? Bolowet's a perfect example, um, and he's a dams racing driver as well. I know, I know Stain and the family really, really well, um, and Bo's now moving up to seniors after you know started quite late, started quite late, started only three years yeah, ago. And after three years of racing with with Jan, and like the thing the thing was, his dad Stain um, did Porsche Carrera Cup Benelux with Glen Van Parijs a, a couple of years ago, 
and he said to him, look, just he Sanger said, look, just advise him on what you think's best. I said, Bo, are you enjoying what you're doing? Yes. Enjoy it. Look, there are gonna be hard times, there's gonna be difficult times when your back's up against the wall and you're wondering what the hell do I need to do to get out of this funk. Okay? Goes and qualifies for the grand finals and ends up second in the world at Bahrain this year. You know, it was that yeah, close. That close. Yeah, yeah. And it was a great race. I mean, I was doing I was part of the Rotax communications team, so I was doing all the daily reports, but you know, you know what Bodet's like, he'll always pull me in the commentary box. Uh, so I so I end up doing E twenty all the time. Um, but because I've I've driven uh, and this is something you probably didn't know. April twenty twenty two I did the E twenty test. First time in a proper competitive owner driver style chassis. Sodi Sigma D D two with the E twenty powertrain. How do you feel? I'll be completely honest with you, I was one hundred percent blown away. Um and I understand it, it didn't just give me an understanding of the electric propulsion technology, but what UDD2 drivers had to combat with when you've got front and rear brakes. And that's not easy to deal with. Um, but with the E20, in, in comparison with the Rotax Max Evo engine, it was slow in, fast out. Whereas with the DD2, you got, you know, you've got a two-speed gearbox. You're thro- you're literally throwing the carts into the corner to carry the momentum through through rotation, whereas with E20 it was more a case of okay it's like point and squirt you know go in, break at the right point, turn the cart in, hit the apex, push the power out, uh, and it was quite linear as well. I mean considering it could do 0 to 100 kph and about the same as the current 992 uh, Porsche Turbo. It was it was absolutely astounding, and then when you got the boost button on, I felt like Night Rider. You know, it's like Super Pursuit yeah. mode, like hit the button, and because yeah. it gave you an extra. I mean, I think the, the total display, the total power output was around about forty horsepower, including the boost. And I'll be honest with you, the carts are probably about double the weight of a DD2. Um, yeah, for, and, for, for me, that's the biggest issue with those, and I think that's. That's a main reason why you also can't drive it like a normal go-kart anymore. Mm. You need to drive it more of a KZ style than you do a KZ. I mean, it helps that the electric motor gives you instant torque, right? So yeah. there's no there's no need to be in that power band. But ideally, you want to still drive it like a go-kart, right? So the frame is built like a DD2 frame, and it's supposed to flex the same, and it's supposed to load everything the exact same way. And for me, the biggest issue with, with uh, electric nowadays is that, sure... There's a lot of weight, but the weight's really low. The mm-hmm. weight's low, there's a low center of gravity, and it's very easy for the driver to be able to transition the weight, to be able to load tires, and that's why those Vs become so easy, because when you're in that braking zone, yeah, right, and you're loading the front in order to hit that, when you let go of the brake for it to rotate, it gets much easier when you have that much weight. However, I think one of the biggest issues now is that it, you're kind of losing the essence of what it's like to actually drive a go-kart, which is to be on that elastic limit in that rolling phase. Mm. So as soon as you have that much weight, that initial rolling phase just eliminated. And so if, if drivers spend too long in heavy go-karts, I think that's why you have such a big problems with, let's say, people who come from rental carts immediately to, to racing carts, is that you lose that kind of sensitive feeling than it is to have that limit in the rolling. Because that's where all the time is at the end of the day. Like mm. What separates people who are, who are right at the front 
Whereas like, you know, those, those two, three tenths, right, which is to go from P5 to P1, is how well can you roll? Mm-hmm. And so I think I think the E20 is a great hobby class. I think for now it's 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 good for people just you know to go and screw around with. But I'm I I, I kind of hope it either gets lighter or it doesn't propagate more throughout the karting world because it's not it just doesn't help driving styles. It it's not going to help anyone learn how to drive anymore. I think also one of the other things along with the E20 is they brought out the E10. They unveiled it at Portimao last year. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, rather than having a, you know, a complete back axle that integrates the permanent magnetic synchronous motor in the back of it. So for for those wondering what a permanent magnetic synchronous motor is, is that the minute you hit the start stop button, it is active. It is active whilst the cut the cart has battery charge, uh, and literally you have a kill switch on where normally uh, a gas tank would be or petrol tank would be right in the middle of the steering column between your legs. Um, but they brought out E10, which is a, a, a slight, uh, a to, to cater for all ranges. So from like six years of age, when you're like micro or bambini or getting into that. And they've done it on a chain sprocket style system, like say with regards to direct drive. And we had 12 drivers who didn't make it through to the grand final for Minimax, but they went out. And by the end, I mean, like, literally, we had the E10 e-cart cut, which I ended up calling with Henry, because he just said, look, you're going to do that with me as well. And I was like, yeah, fine, not a problem at all. And I kind of like it because of my automotive experience, where I'd been, I'd been in the industry for two and a half decades, and I'd seen common rail diesel injection, uh, turbocharging, supercharging. And then, of course, we got on to when the Prius was uh, released by Toyota, you know, over two decades ago. So you had internal combustion and hybrid powertrain combined. Then you had plug-in electric vehicles. Then you had the BEVs. Then, you know, I've seen so much uh, in, in terms of my automotive career. But then to see in some ways that what Rotax is using the E24 is a testbed for Can-Am, Skidoo, all their electric powertrains in in like the snowmobiles or the jet skis or whatever but then e10 added a slightly different dimension when they were out for their for their practice session on the saturday evening under the nighttime sky under the floodlights in bahrain they're about a second and a half off of a conventional minimax when we got to the e-cart cut race itself they were probably about less than three quarters of a second off of a conventional minimax which was really good. And they were able to throw it into the corners because what they did was the Birrell Art chassis that they were using for the grand finals, they took out the internal combustion engine, stuck in the 12, uh, 12 kilowatt battery system plus drivetrain. And I think Gage Korn's team got it done in five minutes from internal combustion to electric. And the racing that we saw, we, we saw a great three-way battle for the lead um, I think it was Viti Salmi who have eventually ended up winning it from Finland. But it was just like they were throwing the cart into the corners like a traditional internal combustion engine cart, which for me, I just went, that is so, so great. And what I hope in years to come, hopefully in the not too distant future, is that the battery technology can be compacted to a point where you can have a battery pack that's the same size as a Rotax Maxivo engine on the same side, and then we'll really see what E20 can produce. I think, you know, they'll, 
the technology is reliable. Over 2,000 power cycles of charging per battery. So none of the batteries have had any of their internal components replaced at all since they were in prototype, prototype stage in the testing phase from their unveiling Sano right up until now. And um, I think also the fact that there are people that keep on saying to me, I don't like the E20. I can't hear the noise. I can't smell the fuel being burnt off. And I said, look, don't just judge it on appearance. Give it a go. If you don't like it afterwards, I'll respect your opinion. But at least you've given it a go. I mean, the thing is, if someone was to say to me, if you wanted to compete in, in a category, Alex, what would you go in? E20 every time. Because for me, it's something that I know. If you put me in a DD2 Masters car, I would struggle. Firstly, because I'd be a shit ton overweight. Second of all, um, I wouldn't want to do any damage to either, you know, to the car, to the engine or whatever. But I think for me, E20, for someone like me who doesn't, who hasn't competed like you have, DJ. Yeah. It's, it's a great way that the older generation, like say 40s, 50s, can, can go into it and go, yeah, actually, I kind of like this, and and it might yeah, be. Yeah, so I completely agree. I think I think it's a good idea, and I think it, that that's exactly what its purpose should be. It it should it's more of, let's say, just a stress free version of racing. You don't really need to think about, oh, okay, I need to keep this much RPM, otherwise I won't have, I won't be in my power band at the exit of the corner, right? You just want to hit it and for it to go, mm. or else you want to feel that power. But uh, going back a bit to what you said before, which is that, give it a go. I feel like, you know, people think, and okay, you have the people that are complaining, they're like, oh, I can't hear it, I can't feel it, I can't this, I can't the other, which I completely agree with, personally. Mm. I have a quite a vulgar saying about electric vehicles, which I won't say right now, but maybe we'll talk about it later. Uh, yeah, probably after we finish recording, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that kind of the, the whole excitement about electric cars and electric vehicles is, is, is there just because it's new, right? Mm. It's like you drive it and you're like, Oh wow! I don't know what this is. This feels interesting. I feel like if it was the exact opposite, right? What what if we all were rise, driving electric things, and all of a sudden this thing that roars and rumbles and does this and the other, and you could feel it kind of move up and down, just this wild thing appears. You'd be like, ah, that's cool. I really want to try that, right? Look at how insane it is. So I think it's just because it gains a lot of hype because it's new. I really want to see what's going to happen when it becomes a bit more normal, right? When when electric racing becomes a bit more of the status quo. What audience is it going to draw? That's the main thing. Because I feel like it, it draws... I mean, that's what you said, right? It's perfect for those entry-level people. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think it can go more than that. I don't feel like it draws that. I think that when you go to Lonato for WSK, right? Which is... Or, or, or you go to CIKFIA. So you have all the factory teams, everyone there. When you have Marco Ardigo and Paolo De Conto sitting there on the trolley revving it revving it just because they want to hear what carburation they want to change for this mm. like that that's the whole magic that's that's the craze that's they say like that that's the bug that's the parasite of racing mm. is that what can i change in this and the other i think that when you go to these high levels high level of motorsport if you just have a battery it's like what i'm i'm not, I'm not a i'm not a chemical engineer to sit inside and tell you mm. uh how to adjust an ionic battery and how it can move particles faster. I don't even know how a battery works, <laughs> right? But like that combustion engine is so complicated and you have, you know, people who use like different owning machines and like, I want to change the, the piston and the squish and the this and the other, right? It's yeah. so intricate and complicated. And that's part of 
you know, what, what I was talking about, that competition. And I, I, I think it's important for karting for it to stay as much as possible. I think that's why we're seeing, um, you know, a lot more sustainable fuels coming into the mix. Uh, and, I mean, the, th- the thing was, um, Wolfgang from Rotax was actually with us for the final round of the B&L Karting Series. Uh, or no, it was the Golden Trophy last year. Um, and I actually went down uh, and, and had a chat with him. And like I just said, okay, what's the composition? Because being an automo- having been an automotive specialist, as I've already alluded to earlier on in, in this chat, that I was quite interested in, say... You know, what's the ether content? Um, what, you know, what has been used? What, you know, has it been like, say, Total Energies for Lamar one particular year decided to use great residues for the 24 hours of spa? And every single vehicle ran on that sustainable fuel. You know, you look at firms like Porsche, who was spending like probably the best part of over $250 million to have sustainable fuels. Not just for the competitive side, because obviously, like, say, Mobile One, Tag Heuer, Porsche Super Cup, you know, they're all running on a sustainable fuel. And it's through a a joint development between Stuttgart and a factory in a distributor in Chile. And then one of the other things that I think some some of the general populace out there, when we talk about electric technology, when it comes to propulsion, and then you look at, sustainable fuels okay 40 dollars a gallon at the moment if you wanted to fill up a car which is like literally that's eight times the price of a conventional gallon of fuel a gallon of gas in you know like premium gas over in the u.s like 91 octane Uh, and then one of the main reasons is is that there is a halo car for porsche and it's the 911 and they want to keep that car alive for as long as they can. And that's why they put that kind of investment in, because they think, well, hang on a second. We've got an opportunity not just to go down the electric route with the Taycan and the Taycan Taycan cross car. They're able to now go, well, hang on a second. We don't need to get rid of this iconic four-litre flat-six boxer engine that produces 500 brake horsepower and makes a hell of a racket, a hell of a noise. I think that's one of the other things that a lot of people like going, yeah, electric is the future. It, it yeah, is I, it, it, I, it is part of the future, folks. It's part I, I of the future. I would agree. I think I think for urban environments, mm-hmm. electric makes completely sense. But as soon as you extend it past city travel, yeah, even city travel for me is 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 going to be difficult because where are you going to charge it? Like, True. Where's who, who's who? Where's the energy? Where's where's the energy going to come from? We have another Ukraine situation like this. The Germans are fiending for natural gas right now. Mm-hmm. The Germans have zero energy. They're like Western Europe is, is is struggling to you know to maintain that. And then if people expect us to be able to charge, I don't know how many millions of cars, you know, over that, it's it's where's the grid going to support this? Where are all these charging stations going to be? I think that that first of all, transportation needs to go electric. So yeah. public transport, transport of goods, trucks, this and the other, this would be perfect, right? Because there is a certain system, mm-hmm. there is an operation system to them and you can track, whereas, you know, the everyday human being, we don't know exactly when we're going to fill up our cars or when we need to do this or the other. We don't have, not everyone has a house for like, just, you know, charge it at your house. I live in an apartment building with 200 people. Yeah. 
Like, I don't know. How many times have you had a power cut this year? Me? None. None? Okay. Well, I think back at home, I think we'd get like two or three a year, right? Or uh, let's extend it. Texas, right? Texas went on a massive power cut in the summer. Yeah. Everyone turned on the air conditioning. As soon as you have a heat wave and everyone turns on their air conditioning, power goes out. Then you, then you have to think of the South Africans load shedding. Like, I, one of my friends, Daniel Costello, who does a lot of sim racing broadcasting, he has three car batteries in his apartment. Because he can't afford to have a broadcast go down mid-race at all, or at any point. The South Africans have been, you know, are quite resourceful you know, when push comes to shove, to to make sure that they have alternative supplies of energy, whether they have like, say, an electric wall block that had that, you know, that they store up energy over time through whether it's through wind power, whether it's uh, HEP, whether it's through solar, they can gather all that energy up and go, right, I've got that just in case of a possible load shedding incident or whatever, because they'll always they always get alerted when it happens. Yeah, like you say, I think I, 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 one of the things that I really am worried about is a lot of these major manufacturers. Take, for instance, Volvo wanting to go full EV, full EV. Toyota, they're already looking into hydrogen power for internal combustion engines. You know, like Morizo, Akio Toyota. That's the, that's the important part. So I was... Um... I was speaking with some executives from Toyota and Cummins. So, you know, you know, Cummins is right. Yeah. With the, make, di- like, massive, the diesel company. Yeah. Diesel yeah, yeah. Yeah. So because those facilities already exist, right. They're thinking to themselves, well, we, we're not also going to go EV. What's the point about going EV? It's so far away right now. There's, there needs to be a sort of stepping stone and looking into that hydrogen propulsion that hi- those hydrogen combustion engines, I feel like is a very important thing that a lot of companies are doing right now. And if you were to ask me, what do you think? that the main fuel is going to be in 15 years, I'd say hydrogen. I'd agree. I'd say hydrogen or forms of natural gas as well. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing is with the hydrogen car, like say the, you know, when Hyundai brought out the iX35 fuel cell vehicle back in, I think it was the, I think it was the mid 2000s, like the first decade of this century. And they had about 50 or 60 cars. BMW has the iX5 hydrogen, which has a WLTP range of around 500 kilometers, which give or take folks is about 300 miles. And you can fill up the hydrogen tanks in five minutes. Five minutes. like convi- and, and people are like going, yeah, well, hydrogen hasn't really taken off. Look at the Toyota Mirai. I said, but Toyota has always been ahead of the game. They always... And you look at the, 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 the hydrogen testing that they've done... They've done it on a racetrack, not on a conventional road car. They've done it in a race car. And that was even yeah. more impressive. And I think what you're talking about right now is that like hydrogen hasn't taken off. I think that just stems into where we have, you know, a massive disparity between what's engineering and technologically, right? Right. And then mm. what's politically correct. Right? Exactly. Because the reason why we have such a push in electric racing, in electric this and electric the other, is, is purely for political reasons, right? All those subsidies, all those all those uh, let's say economic incentives right are all just at the end of the day uh, a political ploy from people which don't necessarily know what's going on right but it drives some form of economic growth in various groups and that's why we have that push over there right it's 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 just mm-hmm. 
to help stimulate those designated classes that are helping you know to develop this energy it's like i don't know i think one of the best examples on on how this entire energy thing is just you know a kind of a, a political ploy is when not only with dieselgate in germany right with, yep. with volkswagen which is very interesting that the, that under german law with the way that the diesel cars work for volkswagen is technically legal because it is a it's a way that it's a fail-safe system to save the engine right mm-hmm. so under german law there is no there is no issue with the with the diesel cars but under united states law there is but also something else is that i think was well, a couple of years ago the german government declared or the uh, passed through the eu that natural gas is now a renewable energy source so they can reach their renew- renewable quotas mm. Yeah, there's it's, a... it's, you know, it's it's there's just a bunch of ways of just manipulating this and the other, and I feel like there was so much money and so much stimulus over the energy field, where hydrogen is merely neglected because there just isn't that you know government, there isn't that government incentive, there isn't that political incentive or investment going into it. But I think over time there will be because we do see a, a massive cut in subsidies, not only not only in Germany, which cut its entire subsidies to cars, right? That's why Porsche backed down a lot. On their electric pro- uh, on their electric projects, right? They went to the take on. As soon as the subsidies were cut, they were like, "Okay, <laughs> we're done. We won't really do anything else right now." And that's why you see all these, you know, even BMW, uh, they all cut back their funding on their electric cars because the EU itself is starting to realize that. Wait a second, you know, maybe we shouldn't be dumping so much money into this. Yeah, and then also setting the targets um, for the sale of new new cars. Uh, and when um, I mean when Rishi Sunak, our, our prime minister over here, said I, we're actually gonna we're not gonna do 2030. No, we're gonna do 2035. I would have thought probably a more sensible target to not ban ICEs completely, but to in a way integrate more electrification, but on a generic scale, not like concentrating fully on BEVs, but PHEVs, I don't think, are the greatest hybrids that you can get. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I actually drove one uh, last year. Um, I ended up going to Marienburg for, I think it was, it was, it wasn't for the BNL, it was for the Euro Trophy. I actually got hooked up with a nice ETSI Golf for the for the first weekend, which was BNL, and then I got put into a MG. Uh, XS and it was a plug-in hybrid and I and the funny thing was okay for those wondering plug-in electric ve- uh, plug PHEVs or plug-in hybrid electric vehicles are not all they're cracked up to be because you can go and charge them but where can you find a charger is it going to be a high you know, is it going to be one that's going to be compatible with your vehicle, first of all? Second of all, where are the charge points in the locality to you? What I ended up doing was using the ICE, the internal combustion engine, which was a, a petrol, and, you know, had pretty good poke, um, even though the gearbox wasn't exactly that great. Is that the MG? That was the MG. Um, <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the worst higher car I've ever driven. Uh, that goes to a Japanese manufacturer, which I'll get onto in just a second. Really? I thought you'd say French. No. I'll be honest with you. No, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, 
my experience with French rental cars have actually been quite different, quite surprising as well. Um, yeah, I actually I agree. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah. Well, like I was saying, yeah. I had to. I actually had to use the um, system where you could actually regen through either braking or also using the internal combustion engine, which meant that you burnt more fuel, which means that there's more CO2 going into the atmosphere. So I think um, the range on the MG PHEV was about 20, 20 kilometers. And I managed to get that up to about eight at best. And that was mainly going like downhill because obviously round Marienburg heading into Cutting Defan, you're probably doing uh, most of the way is sort of most of the main roads around there are about 100, 120 kph speed limits. Um, and I found that my fuel bill ended up being twice what I would have had had I been in a standard hire car. But then last year going to Val d'Argentan, um, I had a Citroen C5 Aircross e-hybrid. And I was really, really impressed with that. Um, and, well, I, I flew into Nantes and I picked it up and I went, oh, this looks really, really nice. And I thought, okay, so I've got petrol engine, 1.6 turbo. And then I found out, I think, because uh, we landed, uh, myself and Nina, Nina, who was the official photographer, um, I had to wait for her to, to land, so she was slightly delayed. And I thought, okay, that's not a problem. Drove the car, then found out that there was a recharge function. So you had three different modes. So you had standard petrol, then you had like mild hybrid, then you had the full recharge. And it was quite funny because I managed to get the hybrid, I got the, the battery charged right to full, which was about 40 kilometers of range. And I went, right, okay, need to fill up the car before I drop it back. Filled up the car. What did I do for 32 kilometers? Stuck it in EV mode the whole way back from the petrol station to the hire car company. And it and it yeah. knocked about 35, it knocked about 30 euros off my fuel bill, which was so refreshing. Um, and, and that's one of the best experiences I've had with a hybrid vehicle. Um, but Coming on to the worst hire car I've ever driven. Uh, I think it was 2020. I did two separate visits to Vakasdorf to Pro Kart Raceland. So we had the... My favorite track. So for the Euro Trophy, I, um, you know how sometimes you can, you can go like, oh yeah, with Enterprise you get mystery car. So you don't know what the hell you're going to get. You could get a Fiat, uh, Fiat Cinquecento or a, a freaking like people carrier or something. Yeah. I ended up with a Mazda CX-5, Sky okay. Active, but it had the woeful, constantly variable transmission, or CVT, which, like, literally, you put your foot down, and you're in third gear, and, like, come on, change to fourth. It's like 6,500 RPM. Come on, change, change. No flappy paddles on the steering wheel. And I gave the car back, and they said, oh, what did you think? I said, Car was fine, comfortable, you know, needed. I had everything, so like Apple CarPlay, wireless Bluetooth, everything. I said, but please take these cars off fleet. I said, the, I said, if you're going to give someone one of those, please give them a six-speed manual because the automatic on this is an absolute piece of shit. 
And that's what I said to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then I get the best ever best ever car I've ever had on a higher on a higher car drawn, which was um I went for the mystery car two weeks later because we had the final round of we had the penultimate round of Rotax Germany. Again in Backersdorf. So I flew into Munich, went to Enterprise. Ah, oh, Mr. Goldschmidt, how are you? And it was the same guy who served me two weeks previously, and he knew for a fact that I didn't want to have that freaking Mazda, <laughs> that Mazda again. And he said, "Ah, oh, right, okay, we've got a choice for you." And I went, "Oh, brilliant! What have we got then?" Mazda. <laughs> no, no, no. He went. So he went, uh, and it was in this order. He went Mercedes A two hundred diesel, automatic, manual, nah. BMW X one uh, X drive. Can't see myself in a small SUV again. They went BMW 3 Series Touring. I went diesel or petrol? Diesel. Auto? Yeah. Color? Gray? I'll have that one. So, um, yeah. And like, the thing is, is that one of the things that you and I have both experienced on traveling, DJ, and, and is the variety of hire cars that we end up in. It, it can. Have have there been any funny moments when you've 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 flown over and then or you know someone's picked you know you've flown over with a couple of people and it's gone like okay what have we got yeah you, you rent as cheap as cheerful as possible have there been any times when you've been in a in a hire car and just gone this is an absolute shit box let me think let me think let me think I'm not entirely sure. Uh, no, but I, there was one time. As I think about it, if it was a shitbox, there was one time where, where we got. I have a big hate for Peugeots in general. I don't know why. Okay. I just, I just, I feel like anyone who buys them just are people who don't don't know how to drive. Uh, and and we rented a three thousand eight once, uh, in Vienna, going to Brook. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a very good car. Uh, but no, I don't think there's ever been a scenario where I, where I didn't necessarily enjoy the car that we were in. I think we had a manual Opel Corsa. That was fun. That was a great little car to drive. Uh, we've, we've gotten an XC60 before, uh, in, in Sweden, in, in Sweden for a Christianstad. Um, there's been gank. I don't know. I think uh, there's never been a woeful experience. There's been a few, let's say fun times where we're like uh oh where did this scratch come from and did we get full insurance or are we gonna have to pay an arm and a leg for uh whatever this, yeah this car is uh but no no there's never a time mm-hmm. no i i, I f- funnily enough i did have a peugeot three three double oh eight uh gc line in mm-hmm. Lith- lithuania They're great cars They're I, great cars I, the only thing that the only thing that Peugeot need to sort out is that if you're going to put a smaller steering wheel, put the speedo up a bit higher, please. Like literally, it's it, yeah, yeah. It, okay. it, that's the only that's the only criticism criticism I have of modern day Peugeots. You know, the car that I had it was the GT line. It was the 1.5 turbo engine. Um, I drove it from Vilnius to Chalet, and then back. Um, then uh. And then I was in Vilnius for another couple of days just to sort of like chill out and, you know, uh, 
because I was doing some commentary for, for Rotax Nordic, which I'm back doing again this year. So going to be renting with the same company. So fingers crossed, um, I might get uh, another 3008 GT line. But the not, bit, not, not CX-5, though. Not a CX-5. No, 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 no. <laughs> CX-5, if they go, we've got a Mazda CX-5, is it an automatic? Yep. Yeah. No. No. Like, hell no. I was thinking about buying one here. I was very close to getting one here. Mm-hmm. I never, I never test drove it. I mean, okay, now that I'm in the states, like obviously there's, I'm in the middle of nowhere and there's no public transport, right? Okay. And so you need a car to go around. And this year, I was like, well, I've been here for two years already, and you know, it's been a pain not having a car because I always need to be like, oh, can you drive me to the store to get, you know, whatever. So I was like, I need to find something. And everything, I don't know. I was, I was looking. I'm like, okay, let's see, something around like you know, fifteen thousand dollar range. I'm like, okay, what, what, what exists? I'm like, Fords. Like, I don't know. Last year I drove a Ford Focus, and after you drive it on the highway for around half an hour, like first to second gear, it's, it's like you're, you know, you're starting a KZ from scratch. Yeah, yeah. It bounces up and down. It tries to pop your spine out. So I was like, no, I'm not getting a Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mazda. I was thinking about a Mazda. And then I was like, you know what, Let's, let, let me just go to a dealership and see what happens. And I found this little Golf from 2018, and it was gorgeous, and I fell in love with it, so I had to get it. So, you know, at the end of the day, go safe, go home, Volkswagen Golf, traditional German engineering will never let you down. Yeah, and yeah, the, the people's car. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I had a VW Jetta back in 08. Um and this is when they just brought out the DSGs, the double shift, uh, the direct shift gearboxes, and it was the, mm-hmm. it was the six-speed wet hydraulic clutch, not the, um, not the seven-speed dry sump. Now, in the mm-hmm. early days, I remember this because I was working at a VW dealer. I was actually in the service department, and I was, and we were told by the workshop we had this Mark V 1.4 TSI. It's like gunmetal grey, sort of blue colour, five-door hatch, you know, nice spec. And the customer had gone with the DSG. And the car was due to go out to the customer, and technicians done the PDI, pre-delivery inspection. And the gearbox is an absolute bag of bolts. It's not changing, it's not... It's not working like it should do they tried replacing the mechatronics unit on it which is basically the uh gearbox control unit for those wondering it's like the gearbox brain that connects to the the what you know the main so like nervous system of a car i mean that's the thing because when you look at it when you've got a canvas system and then you've then got the the mechatronics unit that, that drives the gearbox in collaboration with the engine control unit um so, folks, if you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about, that the ECU is the engine control unit. It's the brain of the engine that works in harmony with everything else on the car through the CAN bus system. And that's a big wiring loom that literally goes into every nook and cranny. There's like literally kilometers and kilometers of cabling in a car these days if you buy one new off the showroom floor or a fairly new, newish used car. And the mechatronics unit is the brain for the gearbox. So if the brain for the gearbox was telling the... the the gearbox to do all kinds of crazy shit so we said i went to the sales manager and i went can you tell the salesman that sold this car to contact the customer now and this was 24 hours before the car was due to be handed over 
and we said that car will be thrown back at you within three hours of that car being delivered. Sales department don't listen. Car goes out. Car's back in 10 minutes. And the owner has literally gone in to see the sales manager. And as you can hear how loud he's gone because the walls weren't quite exactly thick enough. Couldn't hear what he was saying, but the guy was red in the face. Redder than your redder than your sweatshirt at the moment, DJ. That's how yeah. bad it was. And customer got a full refund. Um, walks out and went and bought elsewhere with another German manufacturer and ended up buying a six-month-old vehicle. Not from Volkswagen, but from a completely different German manufacturer. I can't remember which one it was. So, but yeah. Um, I mean, what would you say have been the highlight? Let, let's go back to the racing a little bit, because we've talked. We've actually had quite an in-depth mechanical engineering style talk there, haven't we? In some yeah, respect. we did. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's the thing, folks. This is all about where we can get onto different subjects completely. What would you say have been the highlights of your your karting career up until you decided to sort of retire the overalls? Highlights, highlights. I think okay. So we all we always have like the results, right? So I think second in Le Mans was was a very good result in 2019. I feel like that was that was very good to you know to have something on paper, something went well. There's been a few wins here and there, which were, you know, everything was right and, you know, finished a couple seconds in front. So those are always good to have. But I feel like some of, you know, the best times I've had have been in spite of racing. I think that racing itself, you can always be like, oh, yeah, this is a good result, right? But yeah. even though, you know, coming second in Le Mans is a good result, as, you know, as a driver, you can't help but think standing on the second place in the podium. You look to your left and you're like, shit, that was, you know, that's one that one, one got away. Aw- that one got away, sort of thing, isn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're never you're never extremely satisfied, right? I think even sometimes when you win and you win easy, it's kind of it's not that satisfying. So it's those close battles which are which are which are very fun. But I think if I had to point out to a few moments which which for me kind of highlighted it or painted everything the best was was one time i i did a training camp with patrick hayek right so kz yes former kz yeah world champion yeah cosmic world champion so patrick and i went to went to went to genk and we drove kz's together over there because i wanted to do i wanted at some point to do a racing kz one i didn't care how i did i just wanted to go inside and say that i've done it and we did that in WSK. Sadly, I crashed in one of the heats and couldn't make the final. But we were doing relatively well. I think mm. you know I was uh, constantly within a second of of Stan Pexel in the race. Uh, I think I was like seven tenths off or something. First yeah. time driving a KZ Vortex with tires, I had no idea what was going on. But it was it was a fun it was a fun experience. And I think just driving with Patrick and learning from you know someone of that caliber was was unbelievable. And it's it's kind of realizing like the quality of drivers. I think have you seen that interview with Alex Albon and how he's talking about Verstappen and how that difference is, you know, how how it is being his teammate. Oh, uh, on the high performance podcast with Jake Humphrey. Yes, yes, I've watched that. There's a clip, and it's really interesting because it was a point when I was training with Patrick where I really resonated with him because 
we had, so Patrick was, uh, so on the test that we put on new tires, he was three and a half tenths quicker than me in that lap or in that session. I was ecstatic, right? I had never done how to drive a KZ and my man won the world championship a year prior. So I was like, oh, must be doing something right. Uh, but I go to look at the graph to be like, okay, so let's see like one, two corners where I'm missing most of my time, right? To try and make it up. And the graphs looked identical. The telemetry was identical. He was just carrying an extra 0.234 kilometers an hour everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so the delta was just a linear line going yeah. upwards. And that baffled me. That, that was a point where I said to myself, wow, like that, that stumps you because you're like, okay, he's just half a percent better everywhere. 1% better everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part, right? That's, that's when you start to really respect what's going on. Is when, when someone is like 0.05 tenths quicker than you in one corner, but is that much quicker than you every corner, you just stay behind and you just kind of the whole time and you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because it's not clear. It's not distinct where you're, where you're losing that time. So that was one time where... For me, it was a highlight, right? Personally, just, you know, being able to witness what the best of the best has to represent at that, at that period in time. And I think other times it just have been just training camps that I've done. Hmm. So, like, in Greece, we'd go and do some training camps to this track next to the beach. And, like, we'd all, you know, have a great time and put in a lot of work. Honestly, I think training for races for me was, was some of the funnest times because – that's when the grind really happened. Like I'd have a senior, I'd have a DD2 and a KZ and I would drive in all three sessions and then go for a run and then drive in all three sessions and go for a run. So it was never stopping. And then we'd go out at night and we'd have great food and, and everything. And it's just that entire bonding experience. I think those are, you know, the points which resonate with me the most and which I, I personally miss the most. It's, it's having that drive the entire time where like you want to do well. Mm-hmm. And oh, this is this is also something interesting. Like I said before, that you know, kids nowadays or people in racing nowadays aren't really in touch with the sport anymore. It's it, it's very similar. It's something that I usually say. So when I when I stopped, so 2019 was my last full full season mm-hmm. that I really did, and 2020 COVID, I I, I, didn't, I don't think I did any races. Oh, maybe I did. Maybe I did a BNL. Uh, I think I did one with, with Mah- Danny Mahachek. We raced together one yes. time. Anyway, yeah. I think I raced one BNL race and came like fifth, fourth, fifth, I don't know, some somewhere in the top five. Uh, but it was a good race. And anyway, so I, I took up coaching a bit more during that because I didn't have that much time to race. And so I wanted to coach some of the kids that were coming to the track. And there was a very distinct moment, I remember, where this one kid was messing around a lot and not really taking things seriously. And, and I went to him and, and I was like, I'm like, do, do you want to win? Right? Like, what are you doing? Do you want to win this race? And he looked at me and he said, yeah. I'm like, okay, do you want to win or would you like to win? And for me, there's a very distinct difference between wanting something and liking something. It's kind of like yeah. if, if, if I tell you, do you want a million dollars? Right? You'd say, yeah. But, if I tell you you need to work, you need to do A, B, C, D, get it. Are you gonna do it? 
you know, some people do, some people don't. I think that's the difference between wanting and liking something. And it's, you know, it's a bunch of these, these, these people right now who are in the sport and just expect that they need to win because they are who they are and yeah. don't necessarily want to want to take the measures to go through it. And it's also, as you said before, parents living through their kids. Sometimes, in my opinion, the, the, the father should not be allowed in the tent. <laughs> parents no. and ownings don't go well together at all, at all. Let the kid be able to sit down and truly decide if he wants to do it. Right? You can't force people to want something. They can like it. Everyone likes it. right? Mm. Everyone would like to win. But it's different. Like, What measures are you going to take in order to win, in order to do well? True. And, you know, True. I think and that's the main part. Yeah, well, actually, I remember now when you last competed, in, when you did compete in 2020, when Mahacek moved to Dams, because we had back-to-back weeks, didn't we, in August? We had BNL, and then we had we Euro had Trophy because you finished yes. fifth in a very heated, very wet final. Because I've just seen that on your social media. Oh yes, yes, I remember. Oh, that was a great race. That's where me and me and Bezel became very good friends again. Oh bloody hell! Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I can't remember whether it was Jakub or Petter. Uh, Petter, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it was so it was Jakub at the start. He he threw it in off. Half on the grass, half on the half on the curb, yeah, and passed me, and I was like, "What's going on? Like, what is this kid doing?" Yeah, and then and then Petter comes in after after the Europa Land breaking zone, two oh. laps to go, full side pod, just right into the side of me, and I was like, "Okay, buddy." So then afterwards, on the next corner, I just decided not to break, and he ended up somewhere in the in the gravel. Yeet. But, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a fun race. That was a great race. That was that was when we had that red flag. Not the red flag. So what happened was in qualifying, they didn't have a stopwatch. They didn't have a clock. Oh yes, now and na- two yes. minute warning. No, because it, yeah, because we had the we just had the instigation of the sixty second rule. And I remember yes. you coming up to the top of the tower when Zenderua was having a ding-dong argument with Dave Ritson and Mike Wagner. Well, Dave Ritson, more specifically, at the top of the tower. Yeah. And you just came up and said, look, I just want to understand what are the rules? What What's the situation? Because you were quite calm. I've never seen Zen so animated. That's the only time I've seen him that pissed off. Because uh, I, see, I see him pissed off all the time. He's, he's a well, firecracker. Yeah, well... well <laughs> Yeah, but that that's the Belgian instinct in him, even though he still competes for Slovenia these days. But I don't know. But but I think I think the thing was I was out there and I was just like thinking This is just you know when you just go like this is just like Jersey Shore or some shit like that, or the yeah, UFC yeah. Ultimate Fighter kind of stuff. It's just like Yeah, 'cause cause, cause I remember what was happening as I'm sitting there and I'm seeing people go, right? And no one's really going, no one's gone out. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to start. So I start my cart and I move behind someone. And as I'm leaving, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the last one that wasn't allowed in the track. Yeah. In the 60 second row. And the flag drops in front of me. And I stand there and I look at him. I'm like, okay. And then he doesn't move. I thought he was like, he was like holding me. So I didn't, so there was more gaps. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Get yeah. out of the way. And then he's like, no, everyone turn your cards off. And I went up and I asked, I'm like, what's the rule? And they're like 60 seconds, and then you're not allowed in. I'm like, okay, number one, there's no clock up there because they didn't have one. So how am I supposed to know mm-hmm. when the 60 seconds are up? 
And they're like, ah, you should be counting. I'm like, okay, Buster. And then I'm like, okay, fine. And we're like, and actually, it was, uh, we gave you a minute and five seconds. So it was overtime. I'm like, and then I said to myself, and then I said to them, I'm like, okay, I was already on the way out. Why don't you just let me through? Why let the other two people in front of me out who are also overtime? So anyway, for me, that's, that's when, that's when, um, that was like one of the first times we had those new officials, the Germans uh, conducting road attacks. So I think they they learned a couple of lessons uh, that race, and that was very hectic because playing mm. from Paris was super fast. Yeah, Zen, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I we still were all I, placed in the back. I still remember. We were, yeah, I still remember someone having rum and cokes one evening. Is that me? Yes. Because you might remember, well, that's uh, every evening. That's well, that's, yeah, well, that, yeah, but you had more than your usual fair share that night because of a certain man on your post mentioning next time we feed the Greek Minotaur some more rum and coke, it gives it gives for animated races. Great job, man. Pleasure to race with you. Um, I wonder who said that, Glenn? Glenn, he posted on your on that particular post. Um, but I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the the thing is, there's one re- there's one memory I want to cast your mind back to. You remember when we went to Christianstad in 2019, and I was sick as a dog on the Saturday, and I bought all. I do remember that. Yeah. Well, the funny story is, folks, I whatever I'd eaten for dinner the night before at the hotel I was staying at with Camp Company and the crew didn't agree with me, so I was violently ill, and I and I ended up buying about I probably got rid of all of their stock of vitamin water. And then you came along and said, oh shit, I forgot my cup. So I, I ended up buying you a hot dog, didn't I? I think so. Uh, yeah. You either, did you buy me something or did I buy you? No, yeah, you bought me something because I bought you a beer and gank. And that, and that just goes to show the solidarity between people that I've met. And it's great to have this man on the show. Um, DJ, just got one final question. What is the plan after getting everything sorted in the US. Are you going to be staying over there? What What's the plan for DJ Liveris moving forward in terms of a a traditional career, so to speak? That's interesting. I've been thinking about this recently quite a bit. Um, well, I'm not sure. I think I want to see if I can stay in the States for a bit uh, mm-hmm. because obviously you can make a lot of money here really quickly. And so it's good for the... It's good, to, it's good for learning. It's a great learning experience to be here. Uh, if eventually, I think, through whatever careers I'm doing, I'm probably going to go into uh, commodity brokering or, or some sort of, um, let's say, yeah, some sort of shipping and chartering. Uh, I, want, I want to have a path which could lead me back to Europe one day because I think I do want to live in Greece. Uh, I am heavily considering maybe taking a gap year after I finish my studies and go full out 100% in karting just to see what's going to happen. So that might happen. If that do- if that does happen, you better get your ass back to the BNL karting series because I'll be speaking to Jan Dams when I next see him. I'll be probably doing BNL Euro with Dams uh, if that happens, and I'd assume I'd be living between Italy, Belgium, and Athens during that time for an entire year just just to see. What I mean, I need to lose weight again. I don't know if I'll be quick again, but um, I don't know. It's it's something that's tickling me. It's something I feel like I kind of owe myself to see what would happen if I actually put in mm-hmm. all of my time in carding instead of applying for college and also doing carding. Uh, but otherwise, I think in the States for a bit, maybe do a few races over here. 
Uh, Newcastle karting is two hours away from me, where they have the uh, Suska Championships. So, and also the Rotax uh, awesome. US Trophy Finals in late August Which, this year. Yes, I also went to the ones in September, and I spoke to Ben Cooper. Yep, who's so now a, secured his fo- who actually won his fourth um, grand finals last year. Um, fifth. Fourth. He hasn't equaled Cristiano Morgado yet. No one has done it, and Ben's one away. Ben is one away, so I'm sure that he'll want to more than just equal that That's record, good. but break it. But let's see. Let's, let, let's see if Mark Kimber can do that. He's still young. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. It didn't go his way in Bahrain. Uh, going back to seniors All again, right. I think he was when when he when he did DD two like one BNL one Euro that year was completely unstoppable. Like literally, because he'd also had GT experience, uh, you know, sports cars experience. So as soon as you come back from Porsches, it's it's really easy to do DD two. Like you 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 learn new things. You learn new feelings. Yeah. Same thing with Glenn. As soon as Glenn came back, he was really quick. And then over time, you kind of go back. <laughs> Indeed. DJ, thanks for jumping on board for episode 45, buddy. It's been a real pleasure catching Thank up with you. Thank you very much for having me. Have, have a great rest of your day. So, folks, that's it. And as I always say to close out every episode, if in doubt, flat out. Don't forget, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have been listening on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, thank you so much for joining us. And I'll see you again for episode 46, coming soon. Goodbye.